Welcome back, film fans, to a brand new episode of Quality Check Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Daniel Posey, and joining me across the internet, as always, is Drew Douglas. Goodness, what is wrong with you? You know, that is more exciting than anything we saw in the Marvel Studios Eternals film. <laughs> That's what I was you shouting for. into a microphone. That's what you're saying. <laughs> there is more excitement in that brief 12 seconds. I'll say that was a 12 second open. Then there was an entire what felt like three uh, hour movie. There, there, there is a moment that got a massive reaction. I won't say what it is yet or when it happens. I, I, I'm, I know what you're you're going to bring up, but we'll wait until we hit that spoiler button. But before we get into that, you know, uh, as you can tell, the we will be talking about MCU's brand new Eternals film. I'm poo-pooing on this movie from the get-go, and I, I really shouldn't be. Uh, the thing is, I say that to throw shade at it, and it's not that I... I don't know. I have a lot of feelings. And as I told you, I rarely write down certain nuggets where I'm like, this is what I mean by it. But I did that for this discussion because I will, every once in a while, there'll be something I'll think of and I'll jot it down, put it in my notes, and then I'll return to it. This is one of those I'm like, I need to actually have my thoughts put out in front of me because this could get uh, weird if if I'm not going back to those notes because um, I, with this movie, more than any Marvel movie, that may be fair to say, that I've gone back and forth and debating myself about how I felt. So I'm really curious to see where you lie because I don't know how you feel about this movie at all. Uh, Drew, do you you want to dive right into this and, and get right into the thick of it? Why not? We can do some stats, and then we're going to slam that spoiler button because we're just going to go right into it. Ooh. This movie, MCU film number 26, is the third MCU film of the year. We have Spider-Man No Way Home coming up in December. Marketing ramping right up for that because I think... They're trying to distract people from Eternals just a little bit. That's my theory. <laughs> this came out, did modestly well at the box office. Reviews have been very mixed. I think they're already, in some ways, already on to the next one. Mm. Just a theory. Uh, as for Eternals, directed by Chloe Zhao, director of The Rider, Nomadland, and Songs My Brothers Taught Me. I've never seen a single one of her movies until now. Interesting, because I'm throwing that out there. You've seen uh, Nomadland. Have yes. you seen the writer? No, Nomadland is the one and only film of Chloe's I have seen, and I watched it at home. Yay or nay? I liked Nomadland. It's interesting because the story itself tells a story that I think has been ripe for a while. It sounds weird to say that, but there's um, through this while in college actually the story that Chloe ended up saying, there was some assignment that years ago I ended up working on. And I thought it's fascinating that we literally have those, not just in America, but around the world that are living like nomads and they're going from place to place. And this happened around the Great Recession. Uh, whenever I should say a lot of this, it was almost like a movement that happened. And so because of this class project, I thought this would make for a really fascinating documentary 
or just to see what the lives would be like for an individual living that kind of life. So when the movie came out, there was already kind of that attachment, but Chloe did a great job. I, I have to give it to her. It looked great. There were a lot of gorgeous shots. The film itself, it I won't reveal anything about it other than the fact that there were a lot of times that had me just thinking, hmm, it's very contemplative. Just the the shots, the what she set up and the story, and also how she was able to work in real people and actors and actresses. Really cool and 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 very unique concept. Um, and I dug it overall. I have this question. Yeah. Because I can't answer this. You watch Eternals. Does it feel like a Chloe film? I mean, between that and and Eternals, both are so different, so incredibly different. I even no. visually, like there's nothing I because mean, I will say this movie at times. Um, is visually very appealing in a Terrence Malick kind of way where it lingers mm -hmm. or, or we have characters within nature. And uh, that felt a little different. I didn't know if that was something that uh, that was kind of one of her signature things or not. It is, but here's the thing. And th this is going to sound like I'm crapping on Chloe and I'm not on her style, I mean, that's, yes, that is definitely a signature trait of hers, but it's like, she's not the first to do that. Like you said, you bring up Terrence, uh, you bring up a few other filmmakers who have this, it's almost like a National Geographic style. And I don't mean to take anything away from her at all, um, because I do like that. I like it a lot. And I love that that is part of her style. But to look at this movie and say that's a Chloe Zhao movie, I mean, I I, I couldn't. Uh, back to stats. This is based on characters created by Jack Kirby. Uh, the plot for this movie, The Eternals, are an immortal alien race that emerges from hiding after thousands of years in order to protect Earth from their evil counterparts known as the Deviants. We have a massive cast. Brian Tyree Henry... We have Kumail Nanjiani, we have Gemma Chan, Selma Hayek, Angelina Jolie, Kit Harington. You know, I would argue the large is this the largest MCU cast? Yeah. Like set of quote unquote main characters. This has got to be the biggest one. Outside of Avengers, yeah. Outside of Avengers, which had the courtesy of at least having solo films for most of those people and bringing them together. This has the difficult task of introducing a solid 10 to 12 people <laughs> in yeah. one two and a half hour film two hour 45 minute film uh box office here in the u.s made 71 million dollars at one point it was projected to make 80 85 i do think the divisive reviews maybe hurt the box office a little bit that is probably the biggest talking point about this movie is how divisive <laughs> it is critically it sits at 48 percent on the Rotten Tomatoes, the audience average quite a bit higher, 81%. I do think at this point it's become tired talking about the Rotten Tomatoes score because one, like who cares? <laughs> uh, where do you fall? Are you in the 48% the consensus from critics? Or are you higher in the 80% area that moviegoers on Rotten Tomatoes have posted? I'm actually in the middle. For me, it's about a 65 to 70%. 
It is. It's it's weird. I walked away saying, uh, well, it's not a bad movie and it's not a great movie. There's things I like. There's things I didn't like. And it's just kind of one of those movies. There's, there's nothing that stands out high or low. It's just, weirdly enough, a two-hour, 45-minute movie that is ambitious, which I absolutely love, and then just mundane and unmemorable. Let's talk about some things that we liked and didn't like before we get into Love's Hates. What was, what do you think the best thing is about this? Like you said, the fact that we get a film in the Marvel Universe that feels so different, I like the ambition. I, I, I really enjoyed that it's, okay, we know it works. We've gone down that road several times. And I will say, when the movie ended, it felt like I was one of the few who actually liked the movie. Because when it ended... When it was over, I thought this was this was a very interesting take because you're taking a concept that is hard for a lot. I'm not going to say a, a lot. I, I shouldn't say that. I'll, I'll backpedal a little bit. But I was going to say, you've got this concept of someone once said, and I thought this was interesting a couple of weeks ago, about two weeks ago, you've got this story that is almost like told about Prometheus, the film Prometheus, but instead of telling it from the side of the humans, you're telling it from the side of the engineers. You're taking this concept of what is it like to have history that is laid out in front of us, but it's from the engineers, those who have more or less they're working as robots, as, you know, finding out more about who the Eternals are and and what they uh, their design, um, I, I found that to be the most interesting because even though I myself and both of us are uh, are religious, I do find the concept of like, especially Prometheus, like the engineers, I find that to be interesting, especially whenever filmmakers try to break down um, this idea of history. And also taking us to places where we normally wouldn't go. I found that to be wildly ambitious, although it didn't work a lot of the times. Um, because it's almost like it was too big. And that sounds like a paradox where we've got literally a, <laughs> we've got a celestial emerging from the core of the earth. And yet it's like, hold on a second. You're telling me that no one else, and maybe after this, we find out that they felt it across the world. They had to have, right? I mean, it's literally changing the structure of the world. We've got that happening, not here, but you're telling me nowhere else we've heard about this happening across the galaxy. And we've got the guardians of the galaxy that are out there exploring the world, and they've never heard of something else like this happening. Like, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but so there, there are things like that where they go in a direction and then I start to think 26 movies in, hmm, they're kind of in a predicament where it's hard to do something new because you're like, so th this is the first we're hearing about this. And it sucks that it's like part of that magic. I'm not going to say it's lost, but it's like, how do we go... And, and retain that wonder of what we had in the early MCU to now. 
Although they started going in a lot of those directions. So the engineer aspect, I liked. The natural environment aspect, I liked. And then trying to do something wildly different, I love. Definitely let's do that. Let's let's see more of this. Although um, the aspects of, I feel like it could have been a little more flushed out. Maybe you just needed more time to do that, to explain a lot of those things. So those are those are a lot of hot takes that I've got about the story and the movie overall. I agree with that. I, I love that this has, and this is something that I would say a certain vocal small minority really ripped. It's just the diversity of this cast, I think, is quite incredible. Yeah. I walked out going, man, you know who I really loved was Makari. It's the it's the first oh, yeah. deaf superhero in the MCU. She was so awesome in this, just a a fantastic addition. Yeah. And then I I liked I like movies that obviously span time. These are characters that have been around since 500 BC. So we get to see them experiencing history and the reason these Eternals have not been out and about saving the world is they have been instructed they cannot interfere unless it's deviant related, which brings up interesting questions of they're helping evolve humanity through time. And with evolution comes violence, death, and destruction. And we have two characters in particular, Fastos and Druig, who, one, Fastos is propelling some of those elements because he's so intelligent and he is moving humanity forward with what he is building. And he's got to deal with repercussions of, oh my gosh, I helped boost technology to a point where we have an atom bomb exploding. That's on me. I found that super interesting. I also found Drug's thing of, listen, I can stop this violence at any moment. Let me do it. I'm not allowed to do it. And again, what does that do to someone when they can, they have the ability to stop something and they're not allowed to it? I think that is one of the most interesting elements. Well, it really adds to that superhero element in a very different way that, you know, We've never seen before. And well, we have seen Marvel. it. It was in Man of Steel. We haven't seen it in Marvel. Marvel, yeah. I would like to go back and say Richard Madden is Icarus, a.k.a. basically the Marvel Cinematic Universe version of Superman. Chloe has said that she modeled that character and she was heavily inspired by Zack Snyder's Man of Steel, which <laughs> made me laugh because I'm like, I know these like little film snobs ripping Zack Snyder and what he's done. <laughs> In the DCE, you're just got to be just like smashing themselves in the head hearing that. Now, there's one thing that you pointed out, and I also want to elaborate on that too. You mentioned the diversity of the cast. That's something I loved about this movie. And beyond that is if we're looking at a group of, you could say, I'll just say engineers. I'll go back to that. But you've got this group. And they're supposed to represent basically the entire world. I, I found that to be great that they're able to uh, to do that. And they did. This is a massive cast. Introduces a ton of new faces into the MCU. Who stood out, a.k.a. your MVP? You mentioned her earlier, and it's funny that you did, but Lauren Ridloff as Makari is just phenomenal. She first caught my eyes in... The Walking Dead, and she plays um, a, um, a character, and almost uh, revealed maybe a little too much, but she stood out because 
there's something about her presence that was just radiating. And she did it here again, where every second on screen, she was demanding my attention. I'm tempted. So did you like Camille? He was close to being one of my disappointments. Honestly, I think my MVP goes to Barry Keoghan, who plays oh, Drew yeah. Because I would have bet a million dollars watching these trailers that he was going to ultimately end up being the bad guy. He's <laughs> yeah. controlling people. And I was like, okay, that we're going to come to present day and he's going to be manipulating everyone. Uh, that wasn't the case. I love his back and forth with Makari. I don't know if they're banging. I don't know if they want to bang. Um, but they were, they were, um, or he was, I think, among a handful of just awesome characters in this. A uh, few people were a little disappointing. Who is your biggest disappointment? It could be anyone. It could be an eternal. Um, it was, as I said, Camille is not a disappointment, but it was sad that we didn't get a lot of Salma Hayek. I know. Um, and that's and not... I'm, it's not on her. Exactly. It's not her fault because what we got... I liked, but here's here's the big one. This is big. This is my hot take. Get ready for it because I'm about to alienate every single every single person who's listening to this right now, and I'm curious to know what you think about it. My biggest disappointment is a I don't give a flying f about <laughs> this person or who's playing this, and that's Harry Styles as Arrows. Oh wow, I loved it. I don't, I don't care. Like, as soon as he walked out, I'm like, what? Like, are we, uh, huh? And it's, I was. I, that's hilarious because uh, I walked away going, the MCU did the smartest thing they could have ever done, which is get maybe the biggest person in the world right now to be in this universe. Which makes sense. That totally, like a business decision makes sense. And also everything I've read about Eros, because I needed to learn who is this person. And I'm like, but for myself, I'm like, uh, uh, I'm not really digging this. But what's weird, it was like everyone in the theater was feeling the same thing. Oh. Yeah, that was the weird thing. Because I thought for sure people would just be losing their minds. But everyone, when as soon as you walked out, it's like, um, wow. It's almost we'll, like, we'll get, yeah. We'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to those end credit scenes in a moment. But yeah, biggest disappointment. I, it's hard for me to say that he's my biggest disappointment because he shows up in the very end. I got to give him a movie to say that he's my biggest disappointment. Um, I'll say that he's my biggest. I don't care. But I have to sadly give Salma Hayek. But even though that doesn't fall on her. No, that's that's mine too. And my thing was my biggest, my biggest, I guess, head scratcher is you killed her yeah and she's feels like she's barely in this movie which is a disappointment <laughs> because going into this movie i know that she is going to be a central figure of the eternals basically so that was strange though i do i guess i like the idea because it all connects back to icarus and and that uh yeah that yeah. she's my least disappointing. i'd say maybe my most surprising was angelina jolie i thought she was awesome she ruled she was good do you think this is a case of we've kind of talked about this this movie in general case of character overload too many characters yes. the internet oh yeah i and that's but that's a problem it's like how do you fix that 
without it being or feeling too bloated. I don't, I don't know. Like, do you, you turn do a, into a mini You do a trilogy, baby. True. Yeah. No, um, I don't know what you do because you do a trilogy and you run the risk of people not liking this. And then you're forced to change part two and three. I kind of wonder if you just throw it on H or HBO Max, uh, throw it on Disney Plus. No, and it, you, this but, is, it's, I feel like this has too many ramifications for the MCU as on a larger scale that you just can't do that. But if you did, I'm curious. Now, this would be like a total gamble. You have the buildup and then you have like the big battle where they all come together. It's almost like an adventures team up and they all come together once you get to know them and then boom, that's the movie. And that's what it leads into. I, I actually know. think they did a, a pretty solid job of juggling the main core. Yeah. Uh, I, like the main group of people. Because if you think about it, Brian Tyree Henry's not in this a lot. Kumail yeah. disappears after he's, he's introduced and is a pretty major focus. Again, Salma's not in this a lot. Don Lee, who plays Gilgamesh, dies fairly early in this. Kid Harrington is only basically the bookend of this movie, beginning and end, which about two hours into it, I was like, man, I want to go back to Kit. Like, what's what's Kit doing? Yeah, honey, <laughs> and seriously, just ignoring his calls. She's just like, now, you know what I do love too, and I want to just randomly throw this out there. I like that at one point early in the early in this movie, he's just talking to Cersei, who he's involved with, and he just throws this out there. Are you like a wizard? Yeah. I like that we're so far into this now that I could be dating someone and go, I wonder if they're, they like have superpowers. <laughs> and like it doesn't freak me out and she can be open about it. That's you know? fine. I think that's yeah. cool. Uh, loves hates. Uh, we, we find out the Eternals have been around since 500 BC. Do you like why they've been in hiding all this time and why they have not intervened to step up and fight? I don't know. Thanos. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I dig it. I do buy the fact that it's like, we're not going to interfere unless there's a deviant. But here's my question. What if it's another eternal, which Thanos is supposed to be? Like, Can't do it. They had rules, baby. I like it. I like it simply because of just what it does to some of these people. Well, it's interesting because some war, they, they really had a hard time dealing with what they've been told to do. And then you had characters like Kingo who becomes a Bollywood film star for, I don't know, how long was that? Six, like six generations of Bollywood stars. I, th I think that's fun that they all handled it in different directions or different ways. I like that fact too, that they're all trying to fit, just fit in. How mad do you think Camille is that he did not have at least one shirtless scene? Well, he, you know, he's got to be like, why did I, you know, maybe he wants to be healthy and look good. It's setting that aside, there's got to be a, a part of him that's like, why did I do this if I'm not shirtless? You know? <laughs> I he, would have. He, well, the dude gets shredded, and we should say he's not shirtless in the movie, but he's been shirtless elsewhere in in life. So people have seen the results, but holy smokes. I would, you know, if we did an over-under one and a half shirtless scenes, I would have said over. And yeah. He, he doesn't. So that's disappointing. Maybe that was like on the, the cutting room floor or something. So did you like Kingo's uh, valet? Did you did you think that character was funny or was that too much? Because I, I enjoyed the whole just 
documenting yes. the the emergence of the Eternals. I, I, I thought that was a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I really dug that because then you start thinking, it's like, if you are immortal and you have all this time on your hands, like, what would you do? Especially if you're, I'm not going to say he becomes obsessed with his image, but that's like how he fits in. How do you, from that point, if you live forever, what do you do? Like, do you cling on to the most recent things that are happening, which they show several of these Eternals doing, such as Sprite or Circe, who they're living in their phone, you know, and they're all about social media and trying to stay up. And Kingo is obviously doing the same thing. I, I think, found that I think, to be very fascinating. Yeah, you evolve with what's happening and you just embrace it. Yeah. So I, I found that commentary to be very interesting. So yeah, I, I dug that. I really like the documentary aspect. And then his sidekick, basically, uh, he's kind of like us. Like it's the human going on the trip. And I especially love him at the very end where he's like, it's been an honor. I'm going home to die, basically. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, I got to do with whatever Kingo wants. He's like us, but he's also not because he's he's been around Kingo, like he knows the whole story. Sure, yeah. So he's just like entering the world this firsthand, but he still knows it. Um, the love story between Icarus and Circe, and I'll call him lover boy, Dane Whitman, Kit Harrington, loves, hates. And don't you love a good love story that just takes place over thousands of years? And then we, we introduce one of the, the guy leaves and we introduce a mortal to Cersei. It's like, does she fall in love and stay with someone that's going to die and she's going to live forever? Like, I love that. I think that's awesome. It was, it was okay. On paper, I think it, it comes off much better than how, to me, it did in the movie. Loves, hates the special effects slash visuals. I have to, I kind of want to ask this because watching the previews, I was like, man, the deviants, the, the special effects, they don't necessarily look terrible, but they don't look as top tier as some of these Marvel films. I got to say, I I walked away going, wow, this was way better looking than I thought. Oh, yeah. Uh, over Overall, everything, and it looked really good. Obviously, the visuals where they shot on locations better than, and that goes back to like the whole documentary aspect of how Chloe shoots her films. That looks better than special effects, but working both of those in, I can understand why Kevin Feige was smitten by her work because it's definitely, I mean, merging those two, it, it looked really good. It was a good looking movie. Loves hates the villain slash villains because there is a handful of twists in here that personally, I think it makes everything muddier than it needs to be because at one point, I honestly had trouble like connecting all of the vi villains motivations and I basically gave up and said, Let's, I'll Google this after it's over. I have no idea what's going on. Uh, so in that regard, I think it was not well handled. I also don't think any of the deviants were much of a threat. They didn't seem like no. they would be a threat to any of the Eternals. Even no. the evolving one, Crow, I guess is what, he, what his name is. And he is like literally maybe the worst MCU villain. Yeah. Sadly by Bill Skarsgård. Did you know that? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that until the very end. I'm like, oh. Yeah, I didn't either. And that's, I'm like, please, let's do something else with Bill. He's better than this garbage character. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I agree. It was weak, very weak overall. Now, the main villain, uh, I guess like the creator or what, what it, Hirsham or something, that was interesting. Um, that was okay. Icarus, I thought, was the most interesting of them all, where he was just mm-hmm. trying to make sure that it was just they were following through with everything. And then um, Ajak or Salma Hayek's character, I, I thought that was interesting where she knew and she was just trying to keep it at bay. Uh, but I want to call her bad. Man, she's not bad. Yeah, yeah. I, would, I, I don't think she's bad. But yeah, the oh man, the deviants. It's like they don't po- they don't seem to pose a threat. And then uh, that main, like you said, crow, just garbage. It's like okay, whatever. <laughs> it's just missing a strong villain, and you need a strong villain in order to bring everyone together. I feel like, and it's just it kind of fails miserably. Loves hates the the post credit scenes. I'm going to assume you just, you didn't like the first one, which introduces us to Star Fox, AKA, well, not AKA, it's played by Harry Styles, but he is the brother of Mad Titan himself, Thanos. Yeah, just, uh, I guess it was mainly, but once we get that, I'm like, all right, I mean, cool, I guess. I just, there, there is no excitement from it because, now, to me, this is going to be a really stupid thing to say, but the fact that whenever we get Star Fox, I'm thinking of, I want the Super <laughs> the Nintendo game. Star Fox, yeah. Well, um, I guess one issue could be, and it was my issue, other than seeing Harry Styles on on camera, which I thought was super cool, uh, I have no connection to Eros, a.k.a. Hmm. Star Fox. So I was like, okay, this is cool because Harry Styles, but... Um, I'm just giving you the shrug emoji. Like, I, I, okay. Yeah. that was, And then when we get Pip, I'm like, oh my gosh, that CGI was awful. Yeah. <laughs> Pip, Pip looks like they had definitely used the entire $250 million budget and they had about $75 <laughs> to pump it out in Premiere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was really bad looking. I will say, and I kind of teased this at the beginning of the, the, uh, the podcast, Harry Styles shows up. So we have this introduction where like, who is this person walking down the corridor? It's going to be some massive reveal. It's revealed to be Harry Styles. There is a pod of 10 or 12 girls. I would say teens, early 20s in in my theater. They had the craziest reaction to seeing Harry Styles on screen. It was the biggest reaction to an end credit scene in a Marvel film <laughs> that I've ever been in attendance of. And I've gone to every single one of these in a packed house. It was insane. I couldn't, I was like, wow, maybe that's why I thought it was so cool. I'm like, wow, these people are going nuts. And that's why I go, Marvel, the, this this is the smartest move they made in a long time. You're losing big names, but you're bringing in someone like Harry Styles. That is, on a, from a business standpoint, like you said, the smartest thing you could possibly do. Yeah, I found the second post credit scene far more fascinating. I did. A little more Kid Harrington. He, that character, Dane Whitman, eventually becomes Black Knight. And we hear the MCU's version of Blade for the very first time. It ended, and I, I leaned to my wife, and I was like, that sounds like Mahershala, Mahershala Ali. He's playing Blade. And she was like, they're not introducing vampires into the MCU. I'm like, yes, they are. (laughs) Yes, they are. 
And I have no idea how these two characters will be intertwined. Yeah, I love, there's something about that that gets me really pumped. And it's so weird because we're not talking about the multiverse or anything like that. But the fact that we're getting a freaking day walker vampire, <laughs> that gets me pumped. Gosh, it's going to be good. Finally, loves, hates. Well, this isn't loves, hates. We'll just do Marvel Cinematic Universe bottom three. I want to know, does Eternals land in your bottom three? I would say after discussing it with you that it does not. No, it doesn't. What do you got at uh, numero 26? I can't believe we're 26 movies into this. <laughs> yeah, it does not seem real. I've got to go. This was tough because when when we... I, we were texting about it and I was going through my, my rankings and I thought, Hmm, I have to put, I just, and I, I want to go back and rewatch these movies because something about it's like, I feel like I would shift these around after rewatching all of these. And however, at the very bottom is Iron Man two. Ooh, that's mine too. All right. Number 25. What do you got? That's where I have to stick. Avengers Age of Ultron. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I remember when I first saw that in, in the theater, and others were like, yeah, I liked it, I liked it. I'm like, I did not. There's a lot. It seemed to throw a lot out there, and it set the stage for a lot of what we saw all the way through Endgame. But I just, mm, it let me down. My number 25, I have Doctor Strange. Oh. I've seen it a couple times. I like it. I do not love it. It's one of my least favorite. For me, the next up is Thor The Dark World. So that's the second, according to Rotten Tomatoes, is the second worst reviewed Marvel movie yet, MCU film, at like 60-something percent, which I find kind of crazy, yet I understand. Uh, my, my next one up is Captain Marvel. It, you know, so it was Captain Marvel or Ant-Man and the Wasp. I really kind of went back and forth on that. Uh, you know, I would like to watch that again, Ant-Man and the Wasp. Um, but it's just such a, it's just a kind of a movie that up in the last couple minutes have huge ramifications on the Marvel movie, but it's just like a, other than that, it just feels so inconsequential. You know, it's interesting that you bring that up because that was something I had, I Man, I don't. I, I need to go back and rewatch that. But that, when that movie came out, I just, ah, man, I've seen that twice, and now I'm thinking about rearranging my list and adding that to it. I know. <laughs> I feel like I should, three. I feel like that should be bottom three, and I need to bump Captain Marvel up a little bit. That was one more so than Eternals by a landslide. It like ended, and I'm like, oh. Like that, yeah. that was, I guess, fun, but it's not great. You know, it makes me wonder going back to what Stephen King said about his Dark Tower series, where with the emergence that happens through the Eternals uh, storyline with the celestial that is literally coming forth from the core of the earth, what if that brings about certain things? that causes this ripple effect in other quote-unquote emergences to come from the earth. You know, that happened, and that's why I bring up Stephen King's Dark Tower, because 
that's how the story the mist happened where mm -hmm. even though it was a government cover-up and they were dabbling in basically portals and trying to connect to different worlds they end up ripping open the fabric of our own reality and these monsters from another uh time and place start to leak over into our world is that possible with eternals and that's how we get blade and a few other characters like that or i i know the multiverse is in the forefront of everyone's minds but i don't know like i'm i'm really curious what happens with this story that we just saw play out before us in eternals i'm sure we're gonna find out well film fans thanks for joining us on this talk of eternals and until next time keep watching.